my, good morning. This is Judith Lay welcoming you to Manx Radio and to the podcast of this week's edition of At Your Service. Manx Radio. My guest this morning is both a visitor and, you might say, a returning resident. He's a Roman Catholic priest, Monsignor Stephen Olker, and we'll meet him after our first hymn. Jenkins and Bryn Turfel and Morning Has Broken. And now let's meet my guest. 
Monsignor Stephen Olker was born in Lancashire, but after being ordained as a Roman Catholic priest, he spent almost his entire ministry as an army chaplain and has been in countries all around the world. Now in retirement, he enjoys travelling to any church to take care of services and parish life there in order to allow the resident priest to take a holiday. And that's what he was doing when I met up with him a little while ago in St Mary's Catholic Church here in Douglas, where he was looking after parish life the last time that Monsignor John Devine was on holiday. Oh, good morning, Judith. It's very nice to be with you. I understand that you do have a little Manx connection, don't you? Yes. When I was a boy, my parents came over to the island. My father, his brother, married a Manx girl. And so we came over and spent about seven or eight years on the island. My father stayed here until he died, actually. The first thing I remember from the earliest time was I had a broad Wigan accent from Lancashire and I used to get skitted in the school at Balakameen, so I had to try and adapt my accent somewhat. And now people tell me they'd never believe I was from Wigan. <laughs> now, from here, you went to the seminary. Which seminary did you go to, Father? Right, there were... Actually, I'm trying to think now. There were, there were eight boys from the island who went to the seminary when I was there in 1966. I think I, I was the only one who was ordained a priest and lasted the gruelling course, as I always tell everybody. No, it was a great place. It was very Spartan. It was a Holland College called St Joseph's College of Holland near Wigan. It, it was very Spartan, the living, but actually it was a wonderful place. And I learned so much there and got a love for all sorts of things. You know, I love bird watching. You know, I did a bit of printing, producing booklet for old people who were at home in their homes and, and, and couldn't get out. I got involved in a bit of astronomy and photography and developing films. You know, a love for classical music, which my family had never played. I mean, it was just a wonderful all-round education, but there was a religious slant to it. Whose idea was it for you to go to the seminary in the first place? Was it something that you had a desire to do? Did you feel there was some call on your life? Well, funny enough, when I was a boy, about five in the primary school in Wigan, we used to have a marvellous Irish priest who'd come in. He was always acting the goat with the kids. And one time he got hold of me and put me into the rubbish bin, you know, jokingly. And I looked up at him and saw this man with this collar on. And I thought, I'd like to be like him when I grew up, you know, to make people laugh and smile. So that was, the, you know, a very childish beginning to it. But as I got older... I always thought I wanted to be a priest and help people in whatever way I could. So at the age of 11, I asked, could I go to the seminary? They turned me down the first time, and the second time I was accepted. Well, we were told at the seminary that our work is like throwing a handful of seeds into the air when it's a windy day, and you never know where they land and whether they germinate or what. You just do God's work and hope. It helps people in whatever way you can. But ironically, uh, that very priest when I was a young kid, when I was ordained a priest later, uh, many years later, 20 years later, he was the parish priest of our parish in Wigan. And so I made reference to him saying, 20 years ago, you had this effect on me and here I am today. He must have been so moved by that. Yeah, I think he was actually. But he never showed his feelings very much, you know, the old style. But I think he was quite chuffed actually. So after ordination, what then for you? Well, I was sent to my first parish in Lee in Lancashire. And then my second posting, I was sent to the Metropolitan Cathedral in Liverpool, which was wonderful. I mean, we had a great choir, beautiful church, great services. And, and at the most important times of the year, you could sit back and enjoy them whilst the Archbishop presided at them all. And whilst I was there, I was asked to join the Territorial Army. 
for a couple of years. And I loved the work, I really did. And at the time I was in the TA, the Falklands War was on, 1982. So I was asked to bury some of the bodies and the young soldiers who had been killed out there very sadly because there was no regular army Catholic chaplain in the northwest of England. I'd loved my time in the army, but the worst part of it was always doing funerals because it was always people who went way before their time. It was a very moving occasion to be, and a privilege actually, to be at these funerals and to try and comfort the families. So it gave me a taste for it. And then a couple of years into it, uh, one of our priests came back and retired from the army. And each bishop used to, in those days, have a gentleman's agreement with the bishop of the forces to send priests into the military. So I was asked to replace him, and I was delighted to do so and was sent to Germany. very missionary work you know you're touching people who have been completely unchurched and it was a great privilege to do that and I loved it you know they really gave you a run for your money you know you had to prove yourself to them you've almost anticipated my next question because I was just going to ask you how did they perceive you I guess it would be very different there would be some who would come from a faith background who would have that natural respect for an ordained minister of, of any denomination but as you say there would be others completely unchurched. Yes, I mean, obviously you had your own congregations. I mean, at one stage I had five churches to look after over a 200-mile runaround at the weekend in the north of Germany, a place called Verden, south from uh, Bremen, the Hanseatic city of Bremen. And it was wonderful. Of course, they had schools and there were hospitals, so all the normal things that you did as a priest was there. But when you were with the soldiers, it was a different ball game because you went to the places they go to. You know, even though they were not always chewing the altar rails, as I used to use the phrase, I used to say to them, listen, you've got real Christian love at the bottom of your hearts. It was wonderful. I mean, I remember going to Kenya on exercise with one of the light infantry battalions. I'd known the commanding officer when he was a young second lieutenant. And he said, oh, Father, he said, you know, I'd love you to come out to see the boys in Kenya. And when I got there, the soldiers were superb. They were so glad to have a party with them to do a service at the weekend. They were always 
ecumenical. You know, we do a service for everyone. And then you just say, anyone wanting to remain behind for Mass are very welcome to. And invariably it was Catholics and Anglicans who would stay behind, you know, because the free church people, as you know, are more used to just like a liturgy of the word with readings and a sermon and prayers. And the Eucharistic bit is, is not as regular for them. So it was just wonderful. I remember going to see the local church nearby, huge parish run by Italian missionaries. So I remember getting there the first Sunday morning and it was packed out and the mass went on for two and a half hours and they were dancing and it was amazing. There was a lot of parents dying of AIDS at that stage and uh, orphanages were being set up and there was an Italian man who married a, a, a local indigenous Kenyan woman and they set up an orphanage for young girls. And our soldiers saw the plight of these kids. There, there was no light, electricity at all in the orphanage. So, you know, there it was by the equator and it would be light at 6am and at 6pm it just went pitch black. And uh, our soldiers decided to have a whip round and they got the Royal Air Force to bring out some uh, solar panels on top of the bedrooms and they, they put four fluorescent lights tubes you know in, in each dormitory and I went out one evening with a torch and blessed the lights and then one of the girls was um, you know asked to switch the light on and I'll never forget it you know when the lights were flickering on the kids were so excited at this thing that we take for granted so much you know and then another a few weeks later the guys realized that the women working in the kitchens preparing the food for the kids it was terrible i mean they used wood and it was just full of smoke you know i said to one of the guys i said hey you know we could be trying to do something about this so again the soldiers had a great whip round and we got the royal air force to bring out um extractor fans and when we put them in, the day they were put in, and all the smoke was sucked away, that these women who were cooking for the kids, they were in tears. You know, very simple things like that, but our soldiers had hearts of gold, and they would go out of their way to help people. So for how long did you do this then, Father? Well, I was an army chaplain for 28 years. I joined for three. <laughs> Little did I know I was going to stay in all that time, and it was a wonderful life, uh, and I still miss it. You know, I went to Iraq and Afghanistan and um, Northern Ireland during the Troubles and Bosnia at the end of the war when we first sent troops out there. And I have to say, I was appalled at the devastation and particularly in Bosnia, where there'd been ethnic cleansing and people were displaced from their homes. I remember being in the mountains in the freezing cold in the winter with my driver and the Land Rover we had. Some scarves had been sent out, khaki-coloured woolen scarves from Britain, from well-wishers. And the chief of staff said to me, Steve, I've only got, I think it was about 2,000 of these sent out. He said, now you know, we've got 3,000 soldiers. He said, so I can't give them out because not everyone will get them. I said, oh, don't worry, I'll take them up country. And of course, I was dishing them out and, and um, you know, the mothers were so grateful.
So your main job as a priest in the army, as a padre, is to be there for your soldiers. But there is an added element. Because of the church background, which is universal, you go to see the leaders, the local leaders. So I went to see the Muslim leaders, the Orthodox bishops, the Catholic bishops. I mean, one time I'd gone up to a place called Canine, and uh, one of the sol- soldiers told me a terrible story where they'd been called out one night where there was a Serb and Croat couple who'd been married for years living in that area. And they'd been called out, our boys, because their throats had been slit. And, um, you know, because they were trying to make division between people where they'd lived together in peace and married each other and everything. You know, this is the wickedness and evil of war, which is what Putin's doing at the moment in in the Ukraine, you know. And um, it was so sad. But whilst I was there, I went to the Orthodox Church in Canine. It was uh, their Christmas Day, which is run the Feast of the Epiphany on 6th of January. And when I went in... The congregation was there, and there was a bishop celebrating the Mass. And afterwards, I went to him and said, uh, 
I had my interpreter with me and he spoke perfect English. He said, oh, Father, it's lovely to see you. He said, um, I was a parish priest in Leicester. And then when I was made a bishop, I became bishop of the diaspora of the Serbian Orthodox Church in Australia. So I said, oh, it's wonderful. He said, look, he said, would you like to come and join me for our Christmas dinner? Uh, he said, I'm going to a local monastery. And I know two of the monks did an exchange posting with two monks from Ampleforth Abbey near York. It's amazing. So I went up there with my interpreter and we had a great afternoon talking about the politics, about peace. And he said, look, Father, I know... He said, today, the people who were at our church were the moderate people who've got the Christian faith. He said, sadly, we've been overtaken by extremists who were running the show. He said, and I know the Catholic Church had been trashed in, in Canaan, and there were big painted letters on the door, WC, and the bench has been piled up and, and burnt and all that sort of thing. And it was the same with the mosques and the Orthodox churches, depending on which area you were in. It really upset me, you know, I was quite angry for a while when I first got out there at seeing such a plight and such hatred and division among human beings. So anyway, he said to me, look, I promise you, when this is over, we shall welcome the priest back and we'll help him rebuild the church. So, you know, it gave me a sense of hope and to know that ordinary people are good people. It's just the extremists who can take over and people become helpless. I mean, I try not to preach at people. And I always say to the Lord before I preach, Lord, please give me the strength to say something that will touch the hearts of some people here today. And so I try to talk about experiences I've had, something I've read or seen in the news or somebody has said to me that week to try and make it relevant. I never, ever keep my sermons. I tear them up the end and try and think of something anew. Do you set aside a time for prayer for yourself each day? Absolutely, each day, yes. Actually, when I was in operations particularly, I, I prayed constantly for peace. So that's how I feel. And when I was in Bosnia, I mean, it was amazing. I got back and months later, I bumped into a, a medic who was a full colonel. And he said, Stephen, you'll never know the effect you had on people out there. He said, you know, there's a, a surgeon who'd been away from the church for many years. And he now goes every week. He said, because of your example, that he was amazed that you used to go out with your driver when there was danger. And of course, you're not armed as a padre to do your work. And I said, well, I never, ever thought about the danger. I would say to God in the morning, Lord, I'm here. I've got to do my work. Please be with me, my driver, and we'll do whatever your work demands or wants. And that's my attitude. You never know how the Lord is working in you. But I do know he does. I've had the most extraordinary conversations with people on planes and on trains. I could go on all day about this, actually. But and some people have been in tears at the end of the conversation because it's almost as I was there at that moment. I just want to tell you one quick story. An old priest who mentored me. He was a Benedictine. He was in the Territorial Army and war was declared in 1939. And he said he was asked to go and minister to the army chaplain's base in Catrick because he was being deployed to go to war. And he said he'd been somewhere in the south of England. He went through London. He was very tired. And he asked his friends to let him sleep for an hour, but they must wake him at a certain time. And he was very punctual, Bernard. And they, they let him lie in, and he was not happy about missing his train. So he got a later one, and he had to change at crew. And he said there was a, a TA battalion being deployed for war. 
He said, and this young soldier came to him and said, Father, are you a Catholic priest? And he said, I am. He said, can I go to confession? And Bernard said to me, Stephen, I've been a priest over 50 years now, and it's the only time somebody has confessed to murder. He said, and I'm convinced that that boy was on that platform that day because a few weeks later, that battalion was wiped out. So we never know how we're being used by the Lord. It's his work. We just are the medium, if you like, or the go-between. Deep peace of the running wave to you. Thank you to my special guest today, retired army chaplain and very happy supply priest, Monsignor Stephen Olker. And we end with our usual look at our notice board. And our first stop is Sandygate Chapel on Jerby Road. Their service this evening is at half past six and will be taken by Mrs Sue Yardy. Then on Tuesday morning, that's the 25th, Sandygate Chapel are hosting a coffee morning from 10 until 12 noon. Proceeds will be given to the Isle of Man Multiple Sclerosis Society. And good morning to Joan and Mike Justice, who tell me that today they're starting a week of special evangelical gospel meetings in Port Erin Gospel Church on Castletown Road in Port Erin. Two evangelists from Ireland, Colin Maxwell and Noel Shields, will be taking the meetings, which are tonight and next Sunday evening at six o'clock, and there'll be meetings at half past seven each evening, Monday to Friday, during this coming week, with an open invitation for everyone to join them. The Talis Consort, with soloist Jesse Quigley, are giving a concert on Thursday the 27th at half past seven in St Mary's Roman Catholic Church here in Douglas. The programme will include sacred vocal masterpieces from across the centuries. Admission is free. The Motor Neurone Disease Association Isle of Man invite you to join them for a delicious homemade afternoon tea. That's going to be in St Paul's Hall in Ramsey this Thursday the 27th from 2 o'clock until 4. Tickets are £10, available in advance or you can just walk in on the day. If you would like to get some tickets or indeed to reserve a table, phone or text Anne on 491 375. 491 375. 
the next meeting of the community choir that meets each fortnight in Selby Methodist Church is this Friday, the 28th, and it starts at 7pm. The leader is Dr Krista McCartney, and all ages and all abilities are very welcome. And finally, looking ahead to next Sunday, the next Mariner's service is Sunday, 30th of April, at the Bethel Church in Christian Street in Ramsey, when the preacher will be Pastor Kevin Vondy. And as usual, the service starts at half past six and will be followed by supper and community hymn singing. And that's all that we have time for now, but I'll be back tonight at nine o'clock for sundown. It's your invitation into our virtual late lounge. And for the first couple of hours, we'll be talking about, you've guessed it, the Manx Music Festival, bringing you some winning performances and lots of news from the opening weekend of the Guild. Then from 11 until 1, it'll be our usual mix of easy listening music and a little bit of nostalgia to round off your day. I'd love you to join me if you can. And so, until whenever we meet again, this is Judith saying thank you for listening and I wish you and those you love a blessed and happy week and a very good morning. The nation stays.